Hello and welcome to another episode of Live Love by Design TV. I'm Karen Chaston and today you are in for a real treat. I'm going to bring in my beautiful guest, Moira Sweeney. Hello, Moira. How are you? Karen, I'm great. How are you today? I'm so excited. Now, some of our viewers may remember that I had a conversation with Moira. It was actually my first show of Live Love by Design TV. And it was probably about oh, a few months ago anyway. I think I'm about 17, 18 shows in. So that's how long ago it is. So today we are, have reconnected to actually talk about the book Radical Forgiveness. Now, I'm not sure if you remember, but Moira was all about forgiveness. And a month or so after I chatted with Moira, I, this book came into my life. And as soon as I read it, I reached out to Moira and I asked her to read it. And she just has. So that's what we're going to discuss today. And it's a totally new concept, isn't it, to forgiveness, Moira? You know... You would say that, and yet I feel like I've lived so much of my adult life, even my early life in that, but I would say for me, this has taken it to like another level, and I'm still looking forward to the additional outcomes and the benefits of this whole concept. It is. So for our viewers, it's all about understanding that no one does anything to you, they do it for you on a soul level. And I know that is really hard for a lot of people to understand, especially if you have been abused in any way, especially sexually, emotionally. Um, it, it's not an easy concept to actually take on, to say, well, why would my soul learn from this experience? But it really is magical when you go through the process, isn't it, Moira? Yes, and I can say that from multiple experiences. It's amazing. And if I could even add the theme of this book to the theme of your show where you say live love by design, do you know ultimately when we learn to um, love, that's when we're finally able to live fully. And so the topic today and the theme of your show, uh, all about forgiveness, because we really, we withhold life from us when we withhold forgiveness. I totally agree. But it's also the energy within our bodies that we keep, you know, those stuck feelings. Let's face it, you know, emotions are energy in motion. And when they get stuck inside your body, it's the holding of them, it's the weighing down of them that really does not only aid you, it makes you more negative than positive, which means you're not going to have as much joy and love, as you said, in your life. I totally agree. And an interesting thing about this book, if I could just backtrack, I will tell you, I probably learned it around nine years old that the idea of holding an offense was not good for me. Even if I was the one holding the offense, it was not good for me. So I recognize that, that sense of energy. And I've always, throughout the course of my life, every time I was afraid, afraid of the future, fearful that something bad was going to happen or felt anxious in any way, I would always say to myself, is there anybody, and I would always go to God, is there anybody, God, that I have somewhere in the recesses of my mind, in my subconscious, that I'm holding something against? And I'd say, show me anybody, because I would make this blanket decision. It was like the one life decision. Whoever it is, whatever it is, whatever the circumstances, it's forgiven. I'm not holding anything against anybody because I understood that 
withholding love or holding an offense against another was also working against my own peace. And when you don't have peace, you really can't have life. But now I totally forgot what the next question was that you asked me. I want to answer. That is amazing because I, I want to run with that for a little while. Good. Do you know at nine that it was weighing you down and you did not want to withhold that? Was it from people around you who were doing it and you thought, I don't want to be like that? Or what, how was it? Because that's really young to understand. You, you could see my face. And I'm going to tell you, Karen, I might as well say this is probably going to be one of the most um, transparent interviews I've ever given. And as a um, disclosure at the beginning, I want anybody who may know me personally or know my family to understand something. As I'm sharing information, this is not to... Uh, degrade anyone because I never two things I never want to come off as a victim and I never want to be a blamer of anybody else because somehow some way I always knew that there was a spiritual connection in my life and nothing on this level with people with images with impressions was ever in my mind going to get in the way of where I wanted to go which is you know that unity with God which to me is perfect peace. Okay, so I needed to say that as upfront disclosure. Now, um, I will tell you, going back to age nine, it's a story, and I did share this once before. Um, I often, when I was small, felt like I could never do the things I wanted to do. That's very common among kids. But one of the things I wanted to do is to be able to stay up later. When my ninth birthday came around, uh, I said to my mother, you know, Mom, I don't need any presents for my birthday this year. The only present I want, which I knew costs no money, I want to be able to stay up until 9 o'clock at night. And she said to me, absolutely not. And the relationship we had was she was very authoritarian and very confident, and I knew there was no debate. And I got really, because to me, I thought I had one over on her, you know. Did you ever have that as a kid? And she said no, because she couldn't say, oh, too expensive, don't want to buy it, don't like the style. All it was was to say yes to nine o'clock. So I was nine, eight going on nine. And I got, Karen, I can't tell you, I got so offended, so angry. And more than that, because she wasn't willing to discuss it, I being, I had to always be polite. I knew that much growing up. I really couldn't be a sassy person. So you know what I did? I gave my mother the silent treatment. And so I was polite around the table. She'd ask, do you want this? Do you want that? No, thank you. But I would have no conversation. By the end of a day and a half, I can't tell you what I felt like. The awareness of feeling disgusting, despicable, hating myself, feeling like a ball of dirt. I don't even know how to describe it. How would an eight-year-old going on nine describe it? I felt terrible about myself, and I thought, I'm never going to win at this game, and nor is it worth it for me to try because the what I'm going to put myself through is far too uncomfortable and I can't stand it. So you know what I thought? I can't do anything about it, but I don't want to feel miserable. I'm just going to let it go. And that was my first learning experience on what happens when we stop holding an offense. The offense was not working against my mother. It was working against me. And so that was my earliest recollection. And I could tell you, I could build you skyscrapers from there. But that is perfect, Moira, because that's exactly what this book really does talk about and reiterate in the fact that we're holding all of these feelings within. We're angry with someone. We're not loving them. And they're not even aware of it. 
you are weighing yourself down by not giving this forgiveness over to them. They're not even aware that you are still carrying all of this angst about the event, about so much of it, that it is really great for you to um, get that at such a young age because your mother probably didn't even really care. I'm glad you said that because that was one of the things I noticed. I thought, she doesn't even notice the fact that I'm not talking or that I'm angry. And it was so frustrating. And that was what I thought I realized I was up against a wall. So what was I fighting? And the easiest thing for me to do, this is even another way for people who are listening today to consider this. You know, some people, they don't like to forgive. They don't like to forget. You know what I did? I just dropped it. It was too hard to carry. Yes. And that was an easy decision for me to make. And I'm telling you, after that, I personally felt so much better. Yes. Didn't get to go up till nine o'clock, but I felt so much better. <laughs> what time was your normal bedtime anyway? Oh, my goodness. You know, I could tell you my mother shared with me that at 4.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, she'd have me in my pajamas. If I could ever go back in time and look up in the old days, early 60s, when the Mickey Mouse series finished on TV, maybe 6, 6.30, I was in bed. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. That was pretty early. So you could see why trying to get up till 9 o'clock was a big deal. Maybe you should have gone. You might have got it. Okay, so let's talk about the book. So what is it that you found when you were reading in this? What, did, what awareness did it bring to you? Well, I'll give you my first impression. Uh, maybe some of your listeners are familiar with A Course in Miracles. That's a book I read maybe 10 years ago, and that had been floating around. But I happened to open that book, and for a lot of people, it's very cryptic, and it's a little too metaphysical. But when I read it, that whole story is all about forgiveness. The forgiveness we give to others, we give to ourselves, and it reunites us to our awareness as, as one with God. Yes. When I first got this book and read the opening story, which the author refers to several times, I have to tell you, I thought, I have to read this whole book. I just got it. I already know this. Yes. But the interesting thing was, as right after I got off the opening story, which I understood was the author's way of introducing the concept and the connection. Wasn't it a great way to hook you in straight away? Yes. You know what? It was. And then when he went into other stories and the connections between our forgiveness on one level when other people are unaware of it and how on another completely different level, it changes relationships without our doing anything that really got my interest. And then there was more. He talked about the situations where he had dealt with people that were so sick, especially with cancer patients or others that had chronic issues. And that when they went through this process of just forgiving something that happened in their past that was living rent-free in their head and also by extension their body, that so got my attention and my interest because Karen, I may not at this point in my life yet be able to prove everything I intuitively know to be true about heaven, about earth, about our reality versus this illusionary world down here. Mm -hmm. But I plan on getting there where I could say, even in spite of the fact that like I could tell you in my own life, um, anybody you could say, I had my thyroid removed. Um, I'm coughing again. I, I can remember being 25 years old um, and I had a sales job and I would come into the morning and I think, my gosh, I have to get on the phone, but I have a frog in my throat. When I was in my latter 20s, I was managing um, 
a branch office, which meant I had to do a lot of public speaking. And I'm thinking, why do I always have problems with my voice? My voice, the connection with my voice, um, issues with walking pneumonia, you name it. It's all connected with what I was willing to say and not willing to say. And as many times as I've gone to say, all right, already, I'm ready. What is the solution? What else can I do? Somehow in this book, I realize it's a long answer to what you're saying. Karen, I feel like I got another key. As much as I opened the book and thought I already know it, the key that I got, and you might have to have me on again, yes. and because I'm, I'm interested in seeing the outcome, is that as much as I, I could forgive anybody anything, including one man who when I was like three, four years old, um, sexually molested me. I was so happy to figure out that's why I had those issues, that's why I was fearful, and that was the face I had forgotten. I, immediately I thought, oh, forgive the guy, he didn't know what he was doing. I could let it go as easily as possible. The connection, Karen, that I believe is in this book that brings everything to another level, at least for me, is that I could forgive, but I think what I never allowed myself to do was to go to those places and literally express and give place, or let's say acknowledge my emotions. And that's what I used this book for when I did my most recent. And I have a feeling that um, for whatever reason, see, I um, couldn't give place to certain emotions as a child and that ability to stuff and stuff down or pack away someplace is the very thing that continues to show up again, again here. So um, I totally anyway, I don't want to keep talking because I could go on. Now, that, that is, that's beautiful, exactly what you've shared. Thank you, Moira, for um, sharing, you know, so many personal things and experiences. More importantly, as anything that happens to us as a child, especially if we know as an adult it was wrong, um, for that adult to perpetrate that on you. As a child, we're told not to talk about it. We're told it's between us. We, you know, don't tell anyone because they know it's wrong. So the fact that you were told to not express about it and you shoved it down and shoved it down and shoved it down, that's what I love about this book more than anything else is the fact that it has worksheets... And the worksheets allow you to go through a process of you. Let me just go through the five, the six out. So telling the story. For you to tell the story as, as an adult and also as a child. And then feeling the feelings. Because you would have shoved those feelings down and not been able to express them, they would have been totally running around inside of you and stopping you from, as you said, voicing your opinion when you should. Then it's about collapsing the story because from a child's perspective or from whatever perspective, our perspective is never doesn't make it real because, as you know, what our, our beliefs come into it, what our awareness, our perspective, may not be the reality of exactly what's happened. And by writing out the story really does bring that up. And then you start to go towards a reframe and you reframe that story and then you integrate the shift into your body. Now, I'm not talking about or degrading any abuse that has happened to anyone, but it's about understanding and being able to live with that abuse, forgiving the abuser. Well, I don't say you have to like the abuser or hang out with the abuser or make them one of your friends or anything like that. But it's about understanding 
that that event occurred into your life so that you could become the person that you decided to become before you came down to earth. And without that event in your life, you may not be able to do your main purpose for being here. So I hope our viewers understand that I'm not degrading any situation, but it's about understanding and forgiving so that you can move on. And I think a great little story that it's just popped into my head and I don't want to keep talking anyway. And I think it was the Columbine shootings. It was one of the school shootings. And I remembered hearing an interview with, um, I can't think of his first name, but the CEO of Hay House, uh, Mr. Reed. He was talking to Esther Hicks and he asked her, um, you know, and Abraham about this mother whose child was shot in that, in that shooting. And the, the child was aware before he even went to school that day that he was not coming home. Really? Yes. And it's an amazing interview and I've just got shivers telling you about it. So the mother, um, she, she, in hindsight, she was very aware of the things he said and, and the things that he'd done. Like they had a whiteboard in their house. He drew a picture of the family. He wasn't in that picture. Little things like that before he, he went to school. And anyway, after the shooting, she chose to do a pathway of not trying to control the guns, but more about let's looking at our children to see signs in them, to see that they've changed. The child who did the shooting, there were very obvious signs in hindsight that he had changed and he was depressed and that he may go down that road. So she was setting up programs to do that. Now, it would have been very easy for her to never forgive that, that person, but she became to realise that her child had to be shot and killed for her to go down that path to save other children. So that's what I love about radical forgiveness in the fact that you can take any horrible situation in your life and go beyond and see what is this on a soul development level that I can heal so that I can do what I'm meant to do. Does that Karen, yes, that story, I never heard about that, the child I'll, and the I'll mother. Send, I'll send you the recording. It's a, such a great recording. All right, you know what? I This is very interesting. This book did a really good job of reaching out to every sort of mindset. So there are some that believe in God, some that may not believe in God, but believe in science. He actually at one point referred to this as a technology and energy. What you just described about this Columbine parent and the whole situation is something that took me over the course of decades to sort of come to the awareness of in my own life. We can live in negative energy, which to me would be like death. Negative energy is I'm a victim. The world is against me. Anything bad can happen at any time. I better protect myself and separate from everybody and never make a move because any potential move could mean death or destruction or whatever. But the other side of it, and this goes back to are we going to live on the side of humanity or are we going to see the divine side, which has great order and magnificence and really peace. And that's the place where we recognize at some level that we all came from the same source, 
that we're all eternal beings. And a lot of religious people may have problems with that. Um, but I know somehow we all came from the same source and that's the real place. So you know what I always remembered, and this is similar to what you're explaining. Whenever I would feel low, I would go up to my bedroom. This could be as a child or it could be as literally as an adult. It could have been last week. Whenever I feel challenged with things going on in this world or something goes wrong that I don't like or it upsets me, I will go to my own private space and place and I will literally change the energy around. And how do I do it? I will think in a different way. And what I'm looking for is that mental and emotional and spiritual space. You can literally feel it where everything is ordered, everything is full of peace, and everything has this sense of benevolence, not just for me, that's gonna work out well for me, but that in the divine order of things, everyone will be lifted up and united in the process. So that was another really good thing about this book, because maybe these are things that I kind of learned or discerned by stumbling through life, but he did a very excellent job of packing it down to pragmatic ways that anybody from really any background, if they really allowed themselves to, they could get the concepts, and by getting those concepts and agreeing to them, they can experience new things. I totally agree. And I love the way he even said, even if you do not believe in this process, just do it. It will yes. still work. You do not yes. have to believe in a higher being. You do not have to believe that we're all connected we're all one and we all came here together and and that's what i love about it because if the world took on these concepts there would be no wars people would allow people to be who they are to have their beliefs like how many you know wars have been fought over religion it's it's absolutely ridiculous who cares what anyone else thinks or who they pray to does it really matter no, no, because when we make that matter, that's where the wars begin. That's where the judgments start. That's when the, the ability to apply some belief about another person that may or may not even be true comes into being rather than allowing people to be who they are and seeing them. I want to say this. I read this in the latter part of the book. It's seeing Christ in everyone. Now, you don't have to think about religious Christ, but that whole idea of that divinity, that oneness, that familiar place that you recognize in yourself as well. I had, shall I share this with you? This is a really good one. Okay, it's very practical, and I think a lot of people could relate to it. My mother-in-law, who back in 1977 realized she didn't like me, accept me, whatever, because I wasn't Polish like her, and she didn't choose me, had made this decision, I'm not going to accept Maura. Okay, so that was the reality I lived with for decades. Okay. One day, I was at my sister-in-law's house, and this is after going through all kinds of behavior patterns. I'm trying to get her approval. Nothing is working. She's icing me out of conversations, but whatever. So you know all these feelings, right? Yes. This is what happened to me, and I picked it up, and I thought it immediately reminded me of it today. One day, while at my sister-in-law's house, we were at the table, the kitchen table, and for whatever reason, maybe I moved to the sink, and I saw her get up, and she was walking away from me. So I wasn't seeing her from her face. I was seeing her from behind. And here for the very first time, I saw a completely different woman. I saw her from the perspective of, this is a woman who didn't know me, 
who was fearful of something different than what was like her, and she had her guard up in a way of protection. And I'm not going to say it shifted everything, but Karen, in that very moment, I saw her heart and her soul rather than her persona. And that, I'm telling you, when we could do that, it helps, it shifts everything, and it makes so much of that extra negative energy. Um, and a lot of those lies just dissipate. I've had that happen several times with people, but I just loved it when this man reminded me of that today. But more importantly, too, looking at it from her perspective, you were taking away her son. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, that, and every mother knows, and I'm going to get emotional over this, that, uh -huh. um, when a son marries, you do lose your son. They, you know, I only have a daughter, but I have heard that many times. It's a place that... Don't lose your daughter. Yeah. yeah. See? Mm -hmm. And so, not that I was ever trying to, but... Every woman knows that, um, that, you know, you, you will. And, and that's what it is. So when you look at it from that perspective, you then sort of think, oh, you know, and it's funny, you know, that, that she actually did that. Because I have consciously... Um, Consciously, I get on with my daughter-in-law. And she's Polish, believe it or not. Um, so, you know, there's some things she does I don't disagree with. I just let that go. I'm sure there's heaps of stuff I do that she disagrees with as well. But overall, I honestly do like her. But I, I have consciously said I will always get on with my daughter-in-law. And my older son looks like he'll, he'll get married soon as well, which will be great. And, and I will do exactly the same with it. I don't understand women who consciously alienate their in-laws, like their, their daughter-in-laws or their son-in-laws. What's the point? You know, you, you're actually saying that I disagree with my child's choice. Oh. And to honour and to celebrate your child, you have to say, well, that wouldn't have been my choice, but I will honour you and I will make sure she becomes power, he becomes part of our family quite interesting isn't it isn't it and you know what really when you look at life so many scenarios play out over and over again yes. the details and the faces may change but it is i feel rejected rather than included and yet do you know the bottom line i really believe and I, because i think it's it's where we all came from we all came from the place of unity and love yes. that here on this earthly environment where we all live the bottom line is we are looking to be accepted to be loved just for the just for being ourselves, not for being somebody else or somebody somebody wants us to be. And I think that um, we could have a completely different world. And I know a lot of times wherever I go, I kind of look for stories to tell that convey that thought. But when we live in a society that generation after generation continues to promote the idea of division, hmm. polarization, fear, hatred, the other, etc., People, you know how you said you consciously chose to get along with your daughter-in-law? Yep. A lot of times people give away their own consciousness mm -hmm. to someone else's ideas and they adopt them as their own. And so I might say the same about myself. I look for ways to make things work because I know what it's like to feel at peace and I know what it's like to feel in harmony and to create those environments. Yes. But I, I must admit, I am so much more consciously aware, you know, since Dan passed uh, over seven years ago than what I was. And, and she has come into my life since then. And I totally understand that we are all living in a world of separateness. 
right? And we all used to be oneness. And it's all I, I, I. But when we come to a realisation that it is actually we and the way we can more easily become we is we don't have to be right. We don't have to agree, but we don't have to push our way onto other people. And that's what this book actually does. It shows you that if you don't get the lesson from one person, you are going to get it again from another person. They'll have a different body, they'll have a different scenario, but the lessons are going to keep coming at you until you get them. And everything in your life is about you, learning and growing on a soul level. And that's what I, this book, I just really do love. And the worksheets, oh, my God, the awareness you get when you start doing these worksheets, and they're really easy to fill in. They take a while. Like, you. I don't know about you. I, I think I've, I've done a few of them, but they've taken at least two hours for each one. Yes. Which, which is good because you really get the awareness through handwriting. Do you feel that, that when you handwrite, you get so much more awareness than when you type? Yes, absolutely. I've told that to others. Do you know energetically you could have, I've done this before with my own journals. Yes. I, and I always like to keep journals. I like to be reflective. I could go back to my handwritten journals and because I'm looking at my old handwriting, I'm immediately back in the moment of when I wrote that. So not only back in the moment, but all the emotions, all the perspectives, the feelings, everything are right back there. Somebody told me that there's actually some kind of a connection between our writing versus the typing. Typing cuts off something, but the handwriting literally, it's like it continues to live on energetically. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, because it's, it, I guess it's more the, the flow of it. It's the flow more than the typing. Okay. And because you're using one hand, and that's another thing with handwriting. If you use your non-dominant hand to write, you'll have a different perspective in what you're writing than if you're using your dominant hand. Yes, I've heard that too, and I've even experimented with it. Sometimes I'd ask myself a question with my non-dominant hand and look for the answer, and I would get, a, it would like an answer would come from a different place. There, it, isn't this stuff amazing? I just love this. So I want, I, and I look, we have, I don't even know how long I've been going because I forgot to look at the clock when we started. But anyway, it's a hour. conversation. So I'd like to ask you, you mentioned before we came on air, that you had done a worksheet. Would you like to share what you found in, in completing that worksheet? Yes, I will. This is, you know, I've shared it once before. You could see my face. This coming from the woman who could tell any funny story, but when it comes to another story, it's like, ah, all right, I'm going to do it because it's very interesting, especially as I read it aloud to my husband. Oh. He said to me, oh, this feels heavy. The story that I was getting to use as my story went back to maybe when I was two and a half or three years old. We lived in a um, split-level home at the time. I had a baby brother uh, who was probably in a crib at the time, and I had twin beds in my room. And I slept at the far end of the bedroom away from the door. Okay. There was a space in between and another twin bed in the middle of the night one night Real or imagined, but let's say it was all imaginary, right? I saw in like wrapped up in coils, huge snakes. You see my arms? They were about this size, maybe thicker. I want to say at least two or three. They were sort of, they were in a coil fashion, but they were stacked. 
Now imagine to a two and a half, three-year-old child, I was petrified. It was like shocking. What are these things doing in my dark bedroom? They, I could, I could still kind of conjure them up in my mind right now. I probably sixty-year-old. I'll be petrified. Okay, but but imagine this two and a half, three-year-old. I was old. So this is where I was, and. I, even when I was doing this exercise, I thought, did I call to my parents for help? My senses that I did, but my, listen to this, Karen, my voice was unheard because I got no response. And all I kept thinking of is, how can I get out of this room with these snakes? Because in order to do so, I had to kind of like pass by the snakes around them to get out the door. As it turned out, Karen, I did. And I managed to exit the door safely, and I could immediately travel up three to four steps to get into my parents' room. They had the top floor on this split-level home. <coughs> Sorry, I was so happy. <coughs> and I went in, and I said, I'm so afraid. I said, there are snakes in my room. There are snakes in my room. So I managed. I think my father put me into bed uh, between them, uh, between my mother and father. And for those minutes, oh, Karen, I was like, you know when you feel like you're totally co comforted? Yes. Well, I was like, oh, thank God. I couldn't even say thank God back then. But in my own mind, I was safe and sound and secure. Well, within what appeared to me to be like no time, as in a few minutes, my mother said to my father, put her in her bed. Oh. Picked me up, brought me downstairs, put me back in the same bed. And I was not only horrified by the snakes at first and frightened by that, but I was like, why are you taking me away from you? You're the, you're the people I feel safe around. Well, it didn't end there, Karen, because at some point later, the snakes reappeared in the room and I escaped again. And the next time I went up to the door, the door was locked. And I must have knocked on the door, tried to move it. And my mother said to me, go back to bed. And I sat there as this little child uh, right outside the door. I don't want to go back to my bedroom. And I, I was in such a state of shock. Like, I, it, was, it was very hard for me to process it all. My little pajamas, I'm leaning against the, the wall on the stairway. And I thought, nobody's going to help me. Where do I go? I, can't, I, was, I was so shocked, and I felt so abandoned, alone, isolated. Let me use those words. And I thought, well, do I sleep here all night? But I remember it was very uncomfortable. Maybe when the sunlight started coming on, I went back to my bed. But I'm telling you, Karen, at that juncture in my life, and this is where not speaking, somewhere, and I wrote about this, I must have, and I remember it, I must have made a realization that I didn't have anybody to go to that I was not protected and that I needed to take care of myself. And um, I need to get that. But, but you know what I feel? Here's the thing. I think that wasn't the only time I made such a vow to myself, given my age and my vulnerability as a child, that it was my way of being able to persevere in the midst of circumstances that were very hard to deal with. So anyway, fast forward. I have to tell you that experience repeated itself as I started doing these exercises Now you can see my face yeah I'm laughing but I'm laughing like whoa I use the same words there were doors that were locking doors that were closing it was like I'm talking about for a lifetime and several things that were such commonalities in the original story of my life and um, I'm smiling now because the bigger thing in this picture, it's not like I didn't remember this event or whatever. I just allowed myself by going through the process, the two hour long process, 
of writing it down and literally giving honor and acknowledging my feelings and allowing myself to be that little two and a half, three-year-old. And so I want to tell you, this is why we might have to do another follow-up. I really expect as a result of not only doing it, now sharing it with you, not that I was planning on it, yeah. that I believe somewhere in my thyroid, the chronic cough, the fact that I'm coughing because I've never really coughed at what I wanted to say, and the energy itself that has so depleted me as a result of this lifelong cough is going to dissipate, and I'm going to self-heal. Yes. Then can I share one other thing? I finally agree, especially when you come to the I completely forgive myself. Yes. So once you do the reframe and you re and you stop being the victim and you actually understand it and and because obviously you'll come back from an adult's perspective of it all, um, so you'll forgive your parents, especially your mother and, and all of that sort of stuff and you'll realise exactly why she was doing it. More, otherwise, she would have had you in her bed every single night. And you know what I think too, Karen? I mean, think about it. I'm a mother. And this is what I will for I don't care who it is. It could be heinous things. That was a small thing, right? Yeah. But I, my mother, would I ever want my daughter to hold something against me in my life? Never. Would I want anybody to? That's why I don't hold anything against anybody, but I just gave place to emotions that I wouldn't have wanted to give place to. But I have to tell you something else, and this is important in terms of the overall concept of this book is seeing things from another perspective. And even talking about these blueprints for life before we come here on planet earth where we're going to be experiencing certain things maybe that our soul wants to experience in the way of separateness yes karen i have been told many times many times that when i enter a room to speak because you know i do a lot of public speaking and i could oftentimes i'm around perfect strangers they will hear something they'll see something but they say maura when you step into a room there's something about you, I feel, without a word being spoken, that you understand me. Now, what is the biggest thing we all suffer from? It's the idea of being isolated, alone, rejected. Um, no one understands me. Right. And you know something? with the, Having that as a little child and then seeing it repeat itself in various ways throughout my life, I... You could see my face and my energy, right? This is where I always know when I'm, what zone I'm in. And this author speaks about this. My calling in life has been to serve as an uplifter and as a unifier to the differences we have in this world and to bring back the awareness of love and unity. And what better way to relate to people than to spend decades feeling like, oh, I've got this thing hiding back or somewhere in my body where I felt like the person who was alone and forgotten and overlooked and isolated and afraid and vulnerable, etc. Yes. So I see that as a grand preparation. I could say this easily with my mother in the room. It doesn't matter. You know, that, that thing was a favor to me, maybe not on a micro scale because you go through life and you think, okay, this is not easy, but on a purposeful macro level that really truly brings purpose to the soul and to a higher purpose. What joy is in that? Yes. Really? Yes. And that's, and that's what I love about this book. It really does assist you to understand 
that nothing is done to you, it's done for you. Yes. And it's about doing the self-exploration, feeling the feelings, going into it. A lot of people don't want to go back and feel the feelings and actually understanding and then seeing how you are better off for that incident. Absolutely. And, you know, if I could add things, you know, my daughter even said this to me once. She was in college and she ended up with, interestingly enough, um, a problem with her lungs and she couldn't heal them and she kept going. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And she was in such pain and she said to me when I went to care for her, she said, Mom, she said, I know this has been a really hard time for me. But she said, you know what I realized? The times we grow the most in life are not when everything is going well. She said, we do our most growing when we go through hard times. And that was a 16, 17-year-old girl saying that to me. And you know what? It is because we grow in things like grace, compassion, understanding, forgiveness of our own weaknesses, which helps us forgive others and theirs. Um, How about this self-awareness? What is it like if we're on the other side of maybe mean girls and then we decide, I'm not going to be a mean girl to anybody. Whatever it may be, those hard times when we process them through the higher place, the God space, the divine space, whatever you want to call it, they have the capacity to so transform us into better, more vibrant, more full-bodied, more aware versions of ourselves. I totally agree. And I think that is where we are going to end this conversation. And it has been an amazing conversation. Thank you, Moira, for being so open, so honest, and actually going in and not only reading the book, but doing the exercises. Because everyone can read a book, but it's through doing those exercises that you really do get to understand yourself so much more. And it's just so rewarding. It is. It is. Well, thank you. And I'm sure we will have another conversation on Live Love by Design TV. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. That has been another episode of Live Love by Design TV. I am very grateful for Moira for coming on and discussing the book with me. But more importantly, for being so open and so vulnerable and sharing her stories. I highly recommend that you do yourself a favour and go and get this Radical Forgiveness book. It's by Colin Tipping and it's an amazing process. It really does assist you to take any event in your life, small or huge, to actually see how it has been done for you, not to you, and how it can assist you to actually fulfill everything that you have chosen to fulfill in this lifetime. So thank you again for being here, and I look forward to seeing you on another episode of Live Love by Design TV real soon. Bye for now.